Welcome to the Souls Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soulischurch.com. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Ephesians chapter 4. You can stand as well as I invite uh, Damien is going to come up here uh, this morning to lead us in the reading of God's Word. As we continue to walk through the book of Ephesians, Damien's going to take us through, as you see on the screens, Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. You're right, that is pretty trippy. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that me, he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, Clamor and evil, speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we come before you, we gather here around you this morning with your word before us, spoken over us just now, and towards us, God, towards our lives this morning. We, we just see this passage this morning as kind of like looking at a mirror in a lot of ways. And though there's application in terms of how we navigate conflict for all of us, I just uh, even just sense right now, just feel that... Lord, in this room, there is some real, um, even just this morning as we come in here, there's just some real weight. There's, there's some weathered souls in this room because of conflict. Whether that's past or, or something that they're still going through in the present. Um, and so more than just a list of how to walk through conflict today, ultimately, we just want to come to you this morning knowing that you, you know the difficulties of, of, of our lives more than anyone. You know how hard relationships are, God, as you look at us. You, you, you have compassion on us. And yet you're making us into something beautiful, which takes faith even this morning to believe that. And so we just, as we, as we come before you this morning with this passage open, and certainly, God, our lives are open to you we don't want to just come and do Bible studies. We want to be transformed by your word. We want your spirit to grow us and shape us and conform us to the image of Christ. And so we just, Lord, it's almost like we, we come before you like almost like a surgical table. We just like lay our lives down and we recognize that we need you as the great physician. We need you as the healer. We need you as the one that heals our wounds and helps us follow after you. 
in the relationships you've put around us. We pray you'd lead us, Jesus, even through this time in your word. I just ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon our hearts and lives during this time of study. Pray, God, ultimately that you'd speak to us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. All right. All righty. Well, as you probably noticed, we are nearing maybe the last quarter of the book of Ephesians, a New Testament epistle or letter written by, originally, the Apostle Paul to a church that he had a pastoral heart towards. And he's writing to this church sometime in the first century, uh, really with the goal of encouraging them to remain in Jesus, to remain positioned in him and to ultimately live from their positions in him. Uh, Our position in Christ is not something that we arrive at on our own doing. It's something that Jesus accomplishes for us. This is the good news of the gospel, that God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Amen? And so we get to this morning, through the good work of Jesus, we get to be in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? We actually get to, regardless of what you're going through, I know you might be in some difficult things, but the good news that Paul would say is, hey, If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been positioned in Christ. There's no better place to be in life than in Jesus. So Paul wants us as followers of Jesus to live from that, to know that. There's been a big shift when you get to chapter four, as as we've noticed. Chapter one through three is all about just like understanding who we are and what we have in Jesus, like what our bank account reads, you know, our spiritual bank account, Um, kind of like a big bank statement of just what's true because of what Christ has accomplished. And then there's a shift as we get to chapter four, and it's now on how to walk in light of that, like how to actually orient and position and navigate our lives as followers of Jesus. And so each week we're, we're looking at a different aspect of life in Christ, and each passage speaks to a different aspect. And this morning, why don't you jot this down? Here's the big idea as The Holy Spirit leads us uh, to it here in Ephesians 4, as Paul's writing about it. The big idea of Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 is conflict in Christ. Every week's a different aspect of life in Christ. And we've explored a lot, and this morning, you you know, you get to one that's like not as spiritual. Like it's almost, it almost seems like paradoxical or, or juxtaposed. You know, we've talked about walking in Christ and unity in Christ and all of these great things. And it's like, this might be the first negative word that Paul's going to speak about as a part of your and my life in Christ. I don't need to stand up here and do a lot of convincing that life to you, to convince you that life is filled with relational conflict. Do I need to convince you of that? Have you had a relational conflict this week? Right? Uh, it's, it's a part of the human experience. It's not just on the pages of the Bible from, from really like chapter one, right? All, right? Really the beginning of the Bible, the first conflict even with, with Adam and Eve and the fall of man, and then it descends to the brothers Cain and Abel, and then you see all throughout history. And, and in a lot of ways, we see that fallen result of the world in our lives every day. Every day we're navigating, in some ways, like most days are just like, how do we navigate conflicts? I mean, if you spend any time around people, is that not right? You know, when people are like, I don't really have much conflict. It's like, would you have much people in your life? Because like, or like, I would like a church without any conflict. I hear that a lot. It's like, well, you should find an empty church. And that's where you'll find that. I love the proverb that says, you know, where there are no oxen, the trough is clean. And guess what? 
Where the church has no people, there's no conflict. Where there's no teenager, there's a clean bedroom. It's like another way to say that, right? And so this is, this is a, a regular part of life. It just seems like we all know this in, in a real, and some of us, we know this in a way that's not funny. Some of us are exhausted right now. And we've, let me say this, we've been exhausted because conflict is hard. Nothing can take the wind out of our souls like a relational conflict. It's, it's amazing how successful you can be in every other arena of life, but if you're struggling in relationships, it's like relationships are the real fuel. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like to, when my relationships are in harmony and things are well, everything else is going well, but where there's conflict, man, there's the human experience and there can be a real, a real difficulty. Um, not only is this a regular part of the human experience, but what Paul's telling us here, he's writing to a church, a church that's walking through conflict. And this reminds us that, that if anything, maybe even more so, conflict should be expected for a follower of Jesus. Almost more greatly anticipated. Jesus promised, and, and when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see someone who was you know, void of any conflict. Most of Jesus' life involved conflict with people. And he even told his followers, like, like, it's good. if you're going to follow me, conflict is going to follow you. Now, not in the way that where it's like, there is, there is a way of life where you, um, you're like really good at conflict in the sense of like making it happen. That's not a good thing. Okay, there's, there, is a, there is such a thing as you follow Jesus and conflict follows you. And then there's such a thing where it's like, if conflict is always following you, there's a point where sometimes you got to be like, is it me? You know what I mean? Like, that's a real thing. I've been there. Like, why, why is there so much conflict in my home today? And it's like, I look in the mirror and I'm like, there he is. He's the reason, okay? Um, but, but regardless of that conflict, Jesus even promised, this is going to be a regular part of life. Paul, who's writing this passage, he's pastoring this church. He's going to pastor them through co conflict. And it's almost like Paul can write about conflict from the standpoint of, of a master in this area. This is like, you could say this is Paul's master class on conflict. Uh, Paul has a master's at least degree, maybe a doctorate in conflict. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 7. Here's how Paul described his life. And I just, I'm like, Paul, I get you, bro. He's like, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. Sometimes you can't physically rest because of what's going on in your soul because we were troubled on every side. Look at this incredible sentence in scripture. Someone get this tattooed. Outside were conflicts. I'm not condoning tattoos or discondoning them. I'm now in a weird place there. I don't know what to say. But... <laughs> You get what I'm trying to say, okay? This is not a common verse that you see in Instagram bios. Maybe we'll change it out with that next time, okay? Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Paul's like, here's my life. Here's the season of my life. I wonder, have you ever been able to summarize a season like that? You've had a week where you're like, how was your week? And you're like, how much time do you have? And how genuinely are you asking, right? How, how are you? Paul's like, outside are conflicts. Insider fears, anxieties, stresses. When I look around me, it's just a lot of conflict. When I look within me, there's a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty. Paul knows what it is to walk through conflict. He's able to even summarize a season of his life in that way. Um, and here is what we learn. Here's what we learn in Ephesians 4. As Paul's writing this, he's giving this master class on conflict, 
What we learn, okay, is that the question, the ultimate question to ask is not if we're going to have conflict, but it's how are we going to navigate it. It's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. Outside will be conflict, but how will you and I navigate what's inevitable? How, how, how do we navigate it? How are we doing? How are you this morning? How are your conflicts? And how are you doing and how are you navigating them? But Paul gives us here in Ephesians 4 a vision for how to navigate conflict. Again, listen, in Christ. That's his focus. Here is how to follow Jesus through conflict. Anybody need a little fresh insight to that this morning? I'm just curious. Am I the only one that has some conflict? Thanks, Ben. All right. I didn't mean to call you out, but like, you know, I mean, how to follow Jesus through conflict. And this is really Paul's point in this passage is, is the question is, again, how we're going to navigate. Remember the context here. So we got to go back two weeks. We had a Mother's Day message last week. Two weeks prior, the context of this passage on conflict is where Paul is talking about how as Christians we ought to walk and navigate life in contrast, as those who are new in Jesus, in contrast to he lists three other options, the way of the world, the way of the flesh, and the way of the devil. These are, as scripture would, would de de describe them, and as John Mar Mark Homer describes them in his book, Live No Lies, these are the three enemies that sabotage our relationships with God. This, this is what we're regularly fighting against. In conflict, what Jesus wants for us is to follow his way as opposed to, Paul's writing about this, the way of the world. That's verse 17. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see verse 17 where Paul says, this I say and therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That's the first thing he's saying. We don't navigate conflict, listen, like culture. We're not to walk like culture. If you turn on the news, if you go to a restaurant, you'll see how the world navigates conflict. You ever been there actually like in a public, you ever had like a, an experience with some sort of public conflict in some place and you just get a, fr I've had this a couple times because I live in the city of Boca, I guess, but, and when, when you go out to dinner, you, you'll see something that's a fresh insight and it's, and it's like, there's been times where I just have gotten such a grieved heart at the reality of how fallen humanity is displayed and how conflicts are navigated, even in public places. The world has a way to navigate conflict. You turn on the news and you see a version of this. You flip through the news channels and you see how they navigate the conflicts. You go on social media, be careful. You'll see the way that the world navigates conflict. And, and Paul first says, we don't navigate conflict according to the way of the world. We also got to be careful that we don't walk in the way of the flesh. He'll say that too. It wasn't just verse 17, but then just prior to the verses we read, in verse 22, Paul says that we got to put off concerning our former conduct. Notice this, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Paul describes here the nature of fallen man which is all we are apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we're in Adam, but through the gospel, where, where are we? We're in Christ. And we're no longer bound to just the ways of the old man, the ways of the flesh. And this is an important insight, because I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, most of the difficulties in our conflicts and navigating them maybe um, involve how we can excuse our flesh. We say, well, this is who I am. This is just how I deal, this is how I deal with things. 
This is how this is what I grew up with. This is my culture taught me this. This is I don't you know. And maybe it's kind of one or other way. It's like we're just taught to you. Got, if you get hit, you got to hit back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is who I am. I don't. I've been raised. This is what we say. I've been like that's gospel. I've been raised to do this. Well, we don't filter God's word through what you've been raised with. We do it the other way around, right? Or you go, I'm just, you know, in my house, just the natural, my natural tendency is just to freeze up and be quiet and not say anything and stuff the bitterness and stuff the frustration. Like, you get what I'm, what I'm getting at here. Like, Paul's like, you got to watch out for the way of the world, getting swept into that, that stream. you got to watch out for the flesh, its own way to navigate conflict and excuse and justify behaviors because they're what I've caught and taught growing up. Paul's like, no, 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 put off the old man. That's not who you are in Christ. You're new. There's a new way to navigate conflict. There's a new way. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news when you find out you don't have to keep doing things the same way? That's, that's the gospel. There's a new way. There's a new way that Jesus has made. And lastly, Paul's going to speak really candidly about a spiritual enemy that Scripture calls the devil, a real spiritual foe and force that's involved in every conflict, even the little ones. So, so there's a way of the world, the way of the flesh, the way of the devil, and then Paul is leading us to go the way of Jesus. Listen closely. Here's what we have before us as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are all growing. I know you might not feel it this morning, but you, as you follow Jesus by his spirit, you're growing into the image of Jesus as you purpose to walk in the way of Jesus. As you walk with him, watch what he does to transform your life. So let, let's, let's see this, okay? Let's look at the way of Jesus here. We've all got our share of conflicts. What does scripture have to say to us about how to navigate them as followers of Jesus? We're, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go verse by verse. Verse by verse, and each verse, almost each individual one has a different insight for how we're to navigate conflict as followers of Jesus. Cool? Cool. Cool? All right, thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, Paul gives us a couple keys to navigating conflict as followers of Jesus. Write this down. The first one that Paul will say, here's the encouragement. First thing Paul says is in navigating conflict as a follower of Jesus, we got to start here. We need to be communicative. We need to be communicative. We need to communicate. This is step one of navigating conflict as a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure what you're no, what's normal to you or natural to you. This is what's the way of Jesus in conflict. Paul says we've got to communicate. Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying. Remember, the context is conflict. He says, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I love that this is the first like exhortation that Paul gives to followers of Jesus in conflict. He's like, the first step to navigating any conflict is being honest about the conflict. You've got to speak the truth. You have to look it in the eye. You have to be real about the conflict and you have to speak the truth about it. Um, I think there's this Christian misconception that, that says that the way of Jesus in conflict is to act like there's no conflict. Have you experienced that before? Have you experienced that in the church before? This is how Jesus, what, what, wait, hold on. This is how Jesus would navigate conflict? By the way, do we see that in the Gospels? Do we see Jesus just being like, don't offend anybody, don't say anything, just be quiet, hi, I'm kind of the Messiah, but don't say, you know, like, okay, like, there's none of that. 
Jesus leads us to be not brutal, but honest. To be honest, to speak the truth, man. To be real about it. I, I remember um, kind of like as a new follower of Jesus, a new Christian, and, and, and maybe this is some stuff that I caught just in general through life, but I remember um, thinking that this is what you have to do when there's a problem. Like the way of Jesus is to just ignore it. And there is some Bible verses that would, you know, if you just read those and not the whole thing, you got to read the whole Bible. It's also, that's a point. But there's a verse that's like overlooking a transgression. And there's a, there's a value to that. But I remember I had a friend when I first became a Christian, he was a little bit older than me. And he was like, kind of like as a new young 19 year old follower of Jesus. And this guy was like 20 something. I was, you know, I, I was like just interested in being with him and growing in my faith and following the way he did. And, and then I, you know, he kind of had a reputation for being brutally mean. I don't know how I was going to, I'm trying to think of like a Christian church preaching word to use. Like he was not a nice guy. He was a jerk. Okay. He was a jerk. This guy was just like, and, and in the worst way, like he had a tendency, like in a lot of his friendships, like he would blow up in wrath and anger and just like decimate a person's character. And like, and, and I remember like just kind of being like, oh, the way of Jesus is just to love you and everything's fine. You know, overlook the transgression. And I remember like it, it came to me. You ever had that happen? Where like the issue was like, oh, okay, no, I'm the target. Hello. And I'm a young follower of Jesus. And I remember being like, like struggling as like being young in my faith and being like, this person just obliterated my identity. They're, they write really good emails and it hurts. How did, why were they so specific? And, and there's a, and I'm, I'm laughing maybe because if you're not laughing, you're crying. And that's a joke in our house. Um, but there's a sense in which it was like, it felt like, listen, it felt like the enemy was empowering this person's words to really hurt me. And I remember just the natural ways, like, why am I, I was like, I can't be upset. I can't, I just gotta. And then I remember reading this scripture. God's word will set you free. Check this out. Proverbs 22 says, make no friendship with an angry man. And a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. These words came off the pages and the Holy Spirit of God told me, Andrew, you need to distance yourself from this person. And I'm like, is that the Christian thing to do? Yes, it's the way of Jesus. To be wise and discerning about who you're in relationship with. To be honest. To be real about the conflict. And I know there's a lot of nuance to this, and this is what's really difficult about speaking about conflict <laughs> is I know your relationships are complex and because people are complex, so I'm not going to be able to hit every nail on the head. But we do see at least what God's word says here is that, we, that we've got to be truthful about it. We've got to face the facts. I, I've seen this even in pastoral ministry. I've seen, I've seen children harmed by abuse because families refuse to speak the truth about another family member. And that was the Christian thing to do is just forgive and forget. No, no, no. We're followers of Jesus, right? We're people of the truth. We've got to face the facts. We need to lead with truth. Now, here's what Jesus said. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus is like in Matthew 18, which is like one of the five like, sections of Scripture that everybody knows. You know, like, oh, did you Matthew 18 it? You know? But moreover, if your brother sins against you, here's what Jesus says. Ignore that it happened and act like everything's fine. No, he didn't say that. Just unfollow him on Instagram. No, he didn't say that. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. What does Jesus say to do? He says, speak the truth, right? Be real about the conflict. Now, 
But if it was this simple, wouldn't it be nice to just move on to the next point? Let's talk about the difficulty of navigating this. I think there are, for, for me too, following Jesus, these are the two things that I've had to keep at the forefront of my mind. Anytime there's conflict and offense and there, there, there's, a, there's a call to be courageous and face what's true, these are two things that I've sought to keep close uh, to my prayer life, navigating that conflict. Uh, there's a need when you're speaking the truth to someone to first be prayerfully introspective and discerning. So Jesus here says, go to your, your brother, but, it, but you can't start the, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 18, okay? You've got to start on page 1, and when you read through to, to chapter 7, Jesus starts in the Gospel of Matthew with leading us to be introspective. So this is where we got to, we got to, before we just go to them with the truth, first thing I got to do is I have to come before Jesus. And Jesus said this. He said, before you go, and what? Look at the speck in their eye. Make sure you've done your homework of self-evaluation to see if possibly there's more than a speck in your eye. There could be even a plank in your eye. And that's embarrassing. If you got a two by four sticking out of your head to talk about sawdust in someone's eye, like you don't ever want to be in that situation. You don't, and truthfully, Jesus is like, the call there is introspection, self-evaluation. Can I give you one of my favorite prayers to pray in all the Bible? This has helped my heart and helped me stay humble before God in conflict. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, David says, search me, Lord, and know me. I'm not going to assume that I'm the right one here. I'm not going to ever be self, I don't want to be self-deceived. I've seen that a lot. I'm going to err on humility because you say that you lift the humble. So I'm just always going to say, God, clothe me with humility. I'm going to come before you. And first, before I go to them and speak the truth, hold on. You ever got into trouble because you spoke that truth too fast? I'm going to come before you and God say, reveal the truth in me first. Search me. God, is there any offensive way in me that I'm not seeing? Maybe if you have some good friends, you could go to them and be like, do the, like it's really easy in a conflict to go to a friend and just talk about all the things they did. But what if you also took the humble route and said, but like here's, let me first, before I say what they did, here's everything I did. There's just something helpful about that. And just taking that approach to say, Lord, I, I know apart from your grace that I, I, I sin and I'm, and I'm prideful. Like, that's why introspection's hard. Another thing that introspection gives us is when we ask the Lord to search us, it's like, you could also be discerning. And it's like, okay, did this person, uh, was this person offensive or am I just offended? They're so offensive. It's like, well, are they? Or did you not like what they said because it was true? Or, or there's an insecurity or sensitivity or there's something between you and God? You, you know what I'm saying? And so like, like, for me, it's like, wow, they're so offensive. Man, it's like, and I'm like, Lord, like, why are they, so, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, spend time with Jesus. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm prideful. I'm prideful. That's what happened here. I didn't, that hurt my reputation. The problem isn't them. In that case, the problem's me. Now, this is what's helpful to do, to be prayerfully introspective and discerning. Um, what's really helpful about this, too, is the scripture. So, like, Hebrews says, in Hebrews 4, that God's word is living and active, and it divides our being. It divides things up. And sometimes things get all mixed up. Do you ever felt that way? 
like my spiritual life gets mixed up with my emotional life and, I'm, and I, I have trouble seeing clearly. And then when I open God's word and I seek him and I ask him to search me and show me, what he'll even do is he'll divide what's feeling from what's true as well. His word divides the soul and the spirit and I see the, the reality of things. And, and this is what's so helpful to do, to come before God and allow him to help me discern truth from emotions. You know, it's really easy to be like, I gotta go speak the truth to them. It's like, well, is that the truth or is that just how you feel? And, and listen, there, there are, another key thing I want to say this, I know this is a lot, um, this is the first point. Um, discernment is another key thing to, to employ, like real discernment, I would even say discernment through counsel, about how to navigate the relationship. There's some people, you sh- the only truth you should speak to them is like to God about them, and you don't need to go near them, that's okay. There's some abusive relationships that, that um, are harmful. Um, and then there's other cases where you need to be discerning about like how much you expose with someone. You know, I'm thankful for some friends that like allow me to come process my feelings with them. Do you have friends like that? That's important. Uh, but I've also found that in conflict, okay, ready for this? In, when you have a conflict, I would recommend not like erring on the side of processing your emotions with God. And then so that you can do your best to bring as much truth as possible to the conversation. A lot of times where things have gone wrong in my life is I look to the person to be God in the conflict. And they're the one that I'm struggling with, but it's like, let me process my feelings with you. It's like, this isn't going anywhere good. It just can become this emotional mess. I think it's why uh, Proverbs says this, that that a fool vents his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Now, a misreading of this would lead you to say that you shouldn't have any emotions. It doesn't say that a fool vents his feelings, but a wise man stuffs them down. It's just the wise man knows where and when to process his feelings and, and who and who not to do that with. There's just some basic wisdom from scripture for this. And ultimately what we wanna be is people that we, we go before the Lord in introspection and discernment. We process how we're feeling with him. We say, Lord, search me and know me. Divide between what's true and how I feel so that I can be courageous and bold and speak the truth to this person. So I can go to them as a brother and be honest about the conflict. All right, next thing, write this next one down. We we need to be more than just communicative. We need to be responsive. This is helpful, practical wisdom as Paul walks us through here. Be communicative. But Paul will then say, in conflict, there's a need to be responsive. I love this scripture because it interrupts everything about me. It says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Paul Paul then says, when you're navigating conflict as a follower of Jesus, be like Jesus. Jesus was responsive in the face of conflict. So two sides of this. The first exhortation here is to not be unresponsive. This This isn't just permission to respond with anger. This is like encouragement. Be angry. Isn't that interesting? Like, so it's, it's a health, you know, anger, anger's a funny emotion. Like, it's, it's a funny one because it's like for some reason, men, we don't think about anger as an emotion when we say, you know, I'm not emotional, bro. It's like, well, like, sure, you're not emotional if anger's not an emotion. If, if we count anger in as an emotion then men are some of the most emotional, I hate to say it to you guys, you're some of the most emotional dudes in the room. Anger is an emotion. Anger is a healthy emotion. 
in its proper context, as we see here. So scripture here is saying, be angry. This, this is, why? Because this is actually, listen, anger is the right and healthy response to wrongdoing. Maybe you grew up in a home where you had to stuff your anger and, and you couldn't feel, but that's not godly. The Bible actually shows us that God gets angry. So if anger is unholy, then God would be unholy, but he's not unholy, he's altogether holy. Yet a holy God has holy anger. It tells us in, in Deuteronomy 9.8, this is one of the many passages. <laughs> I, I just love how it's said here because it's just so blunt. It's kind of like a parent that's like frustrated with the kids, but look, um, not frustrated, but you get the idea. Also, God is speaking to Israel. He's like, also in Horeb, Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. This is Moses speaking. So that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. So he's like, Moses on behalf of God is making all these incredible promises to Israel. And like, he's just reminding them, lest you think that God is a pushover and that you just, you know, you convince him with your good works to be here. He's like, no, 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 that's not what's happening here. If you go back to Horeb, remember that story when we were in the whole wilderness thing? And when we were there, uh, the Lord was so mad at you, he almost completely destroyed you, okay? So th this is a, a whole new vision of God that we see embodied in Jesus. Don't we see Jesus with holy anger? He doesn't go into the temple and, and see the corruption. He doesn't go into the temple and see how ministers are monetizing the ministry for selfish gain and go, well, that's too bad. I don't want to offend anybody. And I don't, I kind of feel something. But no, he gets angry. Now, he do, now, this is what's important. I love how, if you read the gospel account, the first time Jesus does this, he actually walks through the temple the day before. Isn't that an interesting insight? And then he comes back the day after. So, so it's an insight there to how he responded and not how he reacted. So we, we got to be responsive that's what, uh, that's what, um, what Paul is saying. That's what we see modeled in the life of Jesus. Like I would, I would like not only give you permission, I would encourage uh, that if, if something's been wronged, if someone's wronged you, anger is the appropriate response. If there's conflict, anger, it's, it's, it's a normal bodily response. God himself, the Bible says he's slow to anger, yet he maintains this emotion. Now here's the key though. We don't wanna be unresponsive. We wanna respond. Anger is that healthy emotion but we don't want to be reactive. Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. Now, that's some of the most important four words to follow, be angry, probably in the whole Bible, right? Um, respond, but don't react. Because how many of us know like anger, maybe some of the reasons why we, we tend to ignore it and stifle it is because we know the power that anger can have over our decisions, over our words, over our responses, over our reactions. I'll just be the first one to confess before God and man that I have gotten into trouble with my anger. My anger has gotten me to, to do things and say things that a sober-minded person <laughs> wouldn't. But, but there's a real reality to this. And, and especially in conflict, it's like, isn't it interesting this natural thing that happens with anger where it's like, if you wronged me, I need to make it right. I need to get, that's why we see it in culture. It's to feel the anger and let the anger, rather than controlling the anger, to let the anger control you and that be your guide. But um, let me remind you that you and I were not servants of anger. Anger can have a great place for the right thing. Some of the best callings are birthed from being angry about injustice. But we don't serve anger. Anger should be a part of it. 
but we serve Jesus. And so we, we seek to respond healthily, but not reactively. We seek to submit our emotions to Jesus and not sin in our anger, not lash out in our anger. Here's what Proverbs 16, 32 says. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. So the Bible's like, you, you want to see what it means to be yoked in the kingdom? <laughs> Sorry. You want to see real strength in the kingdom? Okay, all right. Um, real strength in the kingdom. It's not how much you can bench. It's how well you can rule your spirit. That's real strength. Um, and this is reflective of who God is. God, the Bible says that God is angry, but the Bible also says that God is slow to anger. Meaning God's anger doesn't, God never reacts rashly, reactively in anger. Um, the Hebrew phrase for slow to anger that's used to describe God in Psalm 145 and Exodus 34, it, it literally is a phrase that means long of nose. It's an interesting phrase. <laughs> he who is long of nose is greater than the mighty. Because in that culture, um, if you were angry, the Hebrew phrase is you had a hot nose. <laughs> you know? Okay? Just steaming. You ever had a hot nose before? Okay? You ever driven in Boca Raton? It's like, if your horn's hot, your nose is hot. Let me say that, okay? So, so but it's this, and we use the phrase like, oh, being hot-headed, you know, I'm a hothead. Or, and so the Bible says about God that he is long of nose, he who, is he who is slow to anger. The Bible says in James chapter 1, 16 and 17, let every man be swift to hear. Here's the call. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Be angry, but don't sin. Notice what else he says. And do not what? Let the, let's go ahead and say it. The sun go down on your anger. Brittany and I have never done this. We've resolved every fight. Uh, we have never had a fight go past 8.30 p.m., actually. Wait, sorry, sunset, 5, whatever it is, okay? Um, the language here is like, certainly, like, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Like, let's just be honest, because you, you won't sleep well, okay? So if you can resolve it before the night's, the night's over, uh, or before the, the, daylight or the daylight goes away, more power to you, go for it. There's a greater principle here than a legalistic rule. Of course, it's better to fix your fights before you go to bed, <laughs> all right? But there, there's some cases where some of you guys have been in a conflict with someone for like a couple months. And it's like, well, why do I even look at this verse? I've already broken it, you know? I've already been to sleep many times. The sun has gone down about 30 times since I've been angry with this person, okay? What this is speaking about is our relationship to our anger, Right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It speaks to what are you doing with your anger? What are you doing with your wrath? Conflicts can take a long time to resolve, but anger is something that we should be actively working to resolve. That's why Jesus warns against unresolved anger. So, so think of anger, it's like what Paul's saying here is anger is like a fire, and it really is, isn't it? That controls your body, it's like it, it like inflames you. And so there's a tendency with anger rather than to, to almost like let it dissipate and mitigate it, how natural is it to just stoke the fire? You ever done that? Especially if you just replay the thing, you know, you're just like, oh. and, then it, and then you see it from a new angle. You're like, I didn't even see that they said that. More angry, you know? It's like, I was playing golf yesterday with my dad and my brothers for his birthday. It's my dad's birthday weekend. His birthday was yesterday. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, we took him golfing and, and you know, 
okay, I got to watch my time, not tell too many stories, but uh, every golf course has these people called, they're called player's assistants. They act like park rangers. They drive the golf cart. They're there to assist the players. And, you know, we got a visit from the park ranger. There, was, there wasn't anybody three holes behind us or three holes in front of us. It's my dad's birthday. He's out there destroying us in golf at 78. I want to cry and quit at the same time. And we get this kid, he pulls up, and you know, he, was, he must have had a bad morning. That's how I should have thought about it. And he says, hey, you guys should skip the next hole. You're behind pace. And it's like, okay, sir. And we all were just like, God bless you. Have a good, no, we didn't. We were like, okay. And you know, golf, it's like, all male, every male insecurity comes out in a game of golf. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't, I don't have control of my life, you know? Like, and just all of the worst, because it takes such a high level of concentration and focus. And just, it's amazing how down my golf game went after that guy. And I'm, I'm at the two holes later, I'm just like, I'm on my back swing. Why did he say that, Shank? You know, like. <laughs> and so it's like stoking the anger versus submitting it to the Lord and asking God to not allow that to grow any greater than it is. There's, it's just so easy. Like, if, listen. Anger is not going to be gracious and patient with you. If you are generous towards your feelings of anger, it will it'll receive everything you want to feed it. That's why we got to serve Jesus. Jesus makes a much better master than anger. Amen? And then he says this, don't give place to the devil. This is another part of anger. Ephesians 4.27. Because in anger, the enemy, the enemy often will weaponize our anger. There's a real spiritual enemy involved here. That's what Paul is saying. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give place to the devil who wants to... See, God wants to weaponize anger too for all the right things. He wants anger to be a tool that he could use. He, he, they're, like God is looking for more Christians to be angry at the things that God is angry at. To have the same heart that God has towards injustice and brokenness. But the enemy looks to use anger in a negative way to weaponize it. So Paul says, don't give him a single place. Write this next one down. Paul says, be defensive. That's what he's saying. Be defensive. Not in the way we tend to be in conflict. Okay, so I'm having fun with these words here. Pastor told me that the third way that I need to navigate my conflicts is I got to be more defensive. And most of us are like, I don't know if I can be any more defensive than I tend to be. Um, I'm just like pretty much preaching for my journal this morning, just so you know, okay? Um, but being defensive against, listen, the ultimate enemy. Paul's saying that. We've got to be on the defense in our conflicts towards a real spiritual foe. And there's a real spiritual battle at work in every conflict. Here's a simple thought that you can have in your mind. Every conflict has a greater enemy, a bigger enemy. And it's important to learn, especially in marriage, to be like, oh, wait, hold on. We're not the enemy here. There's an enemy. You know what I'm saying? There's something that switches when we recognize, wow, the, the bickering, this is warfare. He, he, he sows discord. He hates the unity of God's people. We've got to be defensive. The language here is don't give place to the devil. Some translations say, as a, it's a defensive mode. Some translations say don't give him a foothold. It's a military term that describes allowing uh, an invading army to gain access or entry to a strategic point in a territory. He's like, don't let him in. Think spiritually minded, not just naturally. 
There's a spiritual aspect to what you're navigating. We've got to be defensive. Don't give him a foothold. Write this next one down. We're getting through these now. Be productive. Be productive. We've got to be defensive against the enemy. Going back even, we need to be communicative. We need to be responsive. But Paul is now going to say, in conflict, how do we navigate as a follower of Jesus? He's like, be productive. Be productive versus maybe destructive in the conflict. He says this, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has needs. Now, this is, this is just a great, like this is one of those verses that you could just do a whole Bible study on this verse. You could take this one out and just examine it. Um, you know, the new man in Christ is, is going to get a job. <laughs> it's like, get a job. Point six, get a job, is what Paul says. That's what he's saying. Find a job, work with your hands, the sweat of your brow, and instead of being someone, he's talking about like how a Christian is to function in society. The worst of it, being someone that's taking to the extent of you're stealing from people. He's like, no, that's not you anymore. Be someone now who's contributing to those in need by working really hard. It's a noble thing to do, to work really hard, to gain a bunch of resources, to give it to people in need. What a life to live. I'm going to commit my work to the Lord. I want to be fruitful in business and life so I can be a blessing. That's a great target for your life in the kingdom. Um, but remember, the context here is what? It's conflict. It's interesting. So, so I, I don't know what was going on in Ephesus. I don't know if people were stealing each other's Bibles. I don't know what was happening in the church, you know. Um, but he, he's talking about the transformed life. And what a great parable, uh, parable even for relationships. In a conflict, am I someone, and this is what the enemy does, am I someone who in the conflict is taking, stealing? removing dignity, removing love, removing grace? Or am I someone who's a blessing? I'm producing, I'm contributing. This is actually what Jesus said is to be our default in conflict. He says this, Jesus said, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor as, uh, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, notice this, Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is what God is like. God doesn't take the breath and steal the breath away from man. It wouldn't be stealing because he gave it in the first place, but he doesn't take the breath of man away. He still extends a hand of blessing even towards those who are his enemies. This is what's the, the, the incredible grace of God. This is what Paul meant when he said that God is the savior of all men in every way. He's the reason even the most wicked, rebellious sinner is alive. God's grace is the reason they're still alive. So this is his default. It's, and so Jesus is like, be like your father in heaven. Don't be children's of, children of culture. Be like children of your father. So when someone wrongs you and curses you, bless them. And notice the language here is like, like Paul saying, it's like, use your hands to do it. Do good. You know, lay hands on them in a good way. You know what I mean? Like, bless them. Um, notice what he says there. He says, pray for them. Use your hands to pray for them. It's amazing what can happen in our hearts when we begin to pray for our enemies. When we begin to pray, not vindication, but blessing over those that wrong us. And, I, you know, I have to go back to golf yesterday because this is what happened. This guy ended up coming to us on like the 17th tee. 
I think there's a, there's a tendency to be like, if this guy shows up again to complain, there's, like, it's his birthday, all right? You know, it's almost like we need, you know what? We are like, we're Jesus in the temple. That's who we are here. And this guy is a corrupt money changer. And I need to make, I need to, I am tempted to flip his golf cart over, if I'm honest. And, and then he pulls up. And I walk over, and my dad's talking to him. And my dad is over there killing him with kindness. I'm like, that's my dad right there. That's my dad. Just, lo- just blessing him. Just like, and he went the route, he's like, hey man, I'm here with my sons, it's such, God's so good, look at this day, you know, it's my birthday. He goes, sorry for being slow, I'm 78, and, and I can still hit the ball better than you. No, he didn't say that, but, and it was just like, can, can I tell you what happened to this enemy? He became my dad's friend. This is what God does. He makes his enemies his friends through his love. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is what we're called to do as well. Let's keep going. Be constructive. We're almost done here. Be constructive. We need to be productive. We need to be responsive. We need to be defensive. We need to be communicative in conflict. God's word also says, and this is just what, this is like biblical guidance for following Jesus through conflict. We've got to be constructive. And, and now Paul is going to get to our speech, which is one of the main things that the enemy will weaponize in conflict. Because there's life and what? Death in the power of the tongue. Words have the power to bless. Words have the power to curse. Words have the power to build up. That's what God told Jeremiah. Use your words. Listen, you can shape someone with your words. I mean, isn't that what we're after as followers of Jesus? We're like, shape me with your word. We want his words to shape us. But, but listen, some of us, we need Jesus to shape us with his words so deeply because of how shaped we've been by other people's words. And this is a real thing. Our speech matters. Jesus, Jesus has a lot to say about what we say and what's in our hearts and what comes out of our mouths and how that can wound someone. He says here in Ephesians 4, here's the principle. Paul will say this in a couple letters. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. You see the filter? There's gonna come times where corrupt words, because of your anger, because of the wrongdoing, it's gonna be very normal for those words to be in your mouth. But Paul's like, don't let it out. I love that. Let it not proceed from your mouth. Do everything you can to watch the gate of your mouth, which is ultimately the insight to what's in your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let no corrupt word make its way out of your mouth. Even if it's there in your heart, you can bring it to the Lord. Say, God, let the meditation of my heart and words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, Lord. But instead, use your words to edify. Speak what's edifying. Speak that which will build up and that it might impart grace to its hearers. You know, most curse words in conflict are the opposite of the gospel and grace. Whether we dang people to hell, okay, or we condemn them. I mean, think about how the enemy, just look at culture and look at curse words. And you don't have to think too. (laughs) Think about curse words. Um, Don't do that, all right? But if you just think about the way of the world and the way of God, it's it's the verbal way of blessing. 
to speak blessing. And I'm telling you, blessing. I, was watch, I watched it happen yesterday with my dad. He started speaking blessing to this guy and it shaped the guy. It's amazing how that works. Write this down. We need to be sensitive. Here's another one of those like, wait, I thought I'm supposed to avoid being sensitive in conflict. And the real question isn't if you should be sensitive, it's to whom or what. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do not grieve the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul, Paul is dropping some conflict guidance bombs here, okay? These are so good, so helpful. Just as, just as there is an enemy working to divide people, and he's behind most of every conflict, there's the Holy Spirit of God who is working to bring wholeness and unity. His work is among us. And with every conflict, the Holy Spirit is there trying to do something. And this is, this is like why it's important to, to realize like that conflict is inevitable, not just because it's, like it's a lot in life, but also because like God uses conflict. Sometimes that's what the Holy Spirit has for you and me in our day, to grow us. You know, following Jesus, being conformed into his image is not a, a conflictless thing. He uses conflict. I can't tell you how much of my formation as a follower of Jesus has been through my wrestle with the Spirit and, and what God is trying to do. You know what I'm talking about? How he'll use it. He'll sharpen you. He'll smooth you out. First of all, the rela some, some relationships can only be what they're intended to be through conflict. Sometimes conflict is the way to a deeper relationship. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Rather than just to kind of have the superficial love, uh, it's like, no. Let, let, let's be a church that starts to iron that stuff out. There's rough edges, you know? I mean, you get people together and the Holy Spirit's working and sometimes he's just working on you. And so what a call to be sensitive to that. Maybe you haven't even thought about this, but like, the Holy Spirit is up to something in the conflict you're going through. Have you surrendered to him? There's just something to saying, Holy Spirit, here I am. This conflict is hard. Outside are conflicts, inside are fears. But you're doing something. And I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to break your heart. I don't want to go against what you're doing. I want to walk in the Spirit. So just surrender yourself to Jesus. Surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, God, whatever you want to do through this, I want to follow you. I want you to do what you are seeking to do through this. Amen? We're almost there. Be proactive. Be proactive. We've got to be sensitive. We need to be constructive, productive. Paul says you also you need to be proactive in conflict. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice or maliciousness. We've got to put it away from us. Um, the assumption here about bitterness especially, which especially will lead to greater wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, it's got to be something that we are actively, Paul says, putting away. We've got to be proactive about it. We can't assume that, you know, I'm just a naturally forgiving person. You know, the way that Hebrews describes bitterness is it describes it like a weed that can subtly take root in your heart. That if you're, not, if you're not actively putting it away, it will be actively taking root. If you're not actively putting bitterness away, bitterness can subtly but actively begin to take root. Hebrews says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. 
without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully. Be careful. You've got to be proactive. Look carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any, notice this, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Um, this is key for a community, too. Like, it's amazing how unresolved conflicts with some people that cause roots of bitterness, it's amazing the multiplication effect of conflict when you have unresolved bitterness. And you can carry that into a community, and it kind of just, it springs up, this root, in your relationships towards people. And you're like, man, those Christians and these people. And it can defile other people. It's a real severe and serious thing. We've got to be proactive. And then lastly, as we come to the communion table where we're going to close here, Paul says, be reflective. This is the first eight-point sermon I've ever preached, and I think it's showing, but it's okay. The last verse here, be, be reflective. Here's where it ends. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So there are these final exhortations, like you're going to navigate conflicts. So here's what Paul's saying. He's like, in the conflict, there's some things he says. He's like, be kind. Don't retaliate. Don't be the avenger of your conflict. Be kind. Don't have a bitter, hardened heart. Seek the Lord. Ask him to unroot, uproot that bitterness and just say, God, would you give me a tender heart towards this person as I pray for them, as I seek to bless them? Give me a tender heart. And Lord, help me by the power of your spirit to move deeper into forgiveness and not bitterness. Now, he encourages those three things, kind, tenderhearted, and forgiveness. But the key of these is even as God in Christ forgave you. Um, there, there was a conflict. How many of us know this between us and God? <laughs> but there was only one party at fault. Amen. <laughs> the Lord didn't wrong us. We, we sinned against him. We continue to. Yet in this conflict, God, he didn't shy away from the peace of speaking the truth. He spoke the truth about our condition, yet he still pursued relationship with us. He enacted forgiveness. He, instead of like, I don't know about you, but there's times where I would imagine God's no longer tender toward me and he remains tenderhearted as a father that loves his kids. And he sends his son Jesus to the cross. Christ goes, he lays down his life, the greatest display of love. And from the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's a word of forgiveness from the cross over your life. You and I, through the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, we find, first of all, all that we need in life, which is the, the kindness of God towards us. We find his heart towards us. We find his forgiveness of all our sins, past, present, and future. And we find the power to reflect that in the conflicts around us. Amen.